You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace. It is like the finest oils poured on Aaron's head, sweet-smelling oils flowing down to the collar of his robe. It is like the gentle rain of Mount Hermon that falls over the hills of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, Life forevermore. Today we're talking about uh, forgiveness. Uh, last week we, we discussed together what do you do when you need to forgive somebody else? What are the steps that we take when forgiveness is something that we're struggling with and we need to release? And today we're shifting it where we're talking more about what do we do when we are the ones that need to ask for forgiveness or to seek for forgiveness? What do we do, how do we do uh, when we say we're sorry? Well, check this out as one example. Fine, okay, fine. But I gotta say, technically, I didn't even do anything wrong. What? You, you didn't do anything wrong? I, I said I didn't technically. <laughs> okay, well, let's put aside the fact that you accidentally picked up my grandmother's ring and you accidentally proposed to Rachel. Why can't I just stop you right there for a second? When people do this, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> You were saying? And I can even understand that you couldn't tell Rachel. But why couldn't you tell me? Huh? You had all day to, and you didn't. I know, I should have. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not using it right, Joe. I'm gonna go. No, come on, look, Ross, we have to get past this. Give me the bag. No, look, I, I don't know what else to do. I said I'm sorry. Joey? Now, now you should scream at me or, or, or curse me or hit me. I, I'm not gonna hit you. Why not? You'll feel better, I'll feel better. And you know you want to, I can see it in your eyes. No, I don't. A little bit. No. A little bit. <laughs> no. A little bit more. Give me the bag. No, hit me. Give me the bag. Hit me. Joey, give me the bag. Hit me. Joe, I'm hit not me. kidding. Hit me. No. Hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. You ducked. I'm sorry. It was a reflex. Oh, my God. This, this really hurts. I couldn't help it. When a fist comes at your face, you duck. Look. Why don't we talk about this on the way to the hospital? Good, good. Yeah, maybe while we're there, they can check your reflexes. <laughs> Oops. Well, some of my apologies have been about that lame. And, uh, you know, it really is easy to mess up, uh, to not know how to genuinely say we're sorry and really mean it. 
So today we're talking about not just that, but also the importance of building a culture in our family life, in our church life, in our workplace, in our school, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our world. How do you build a culture where forgiveness and reconciliation can really thrive? Where there's mutual respect and civility and love and kindness and patience. Because you and I are living in a world that doesn't doesn't seem to get that. We seem to, to keep losing our way, whether it's on an airline flight or other things that just crazy like happen all the time. So today we're talking about two things. We're talking about how to seek forgiveness when I'm clearly in the wrong. But the bigger question is, how do you build a community life? How do you build a culture in our world in the way that we conduct ourselves and other people conduct ourselves, where we're really able to live together in a sense of peace and unity and reconciliation and harmony. The psalmist said it so well years ago when he wrote how wonderful it is, how pleasant when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. That's what we're talking about today. Well, just to shift gears, I'm just curious, how many of you had property that was affected by flooding this past week? Uh, anybody? Yeah, several of you experienced that. And so uh, last Sunday when I'm preaching here, I, I noticed that my wife didn't show up for worship. I mean, she pops in sometimes at 8.20, sometimes at 9.40. When she didn't come at 11, I knew it wasn't a good sign. And so I get my phone out and I check my text messages at 12.20. And the first text reads, water flooding in basement, power out, salvaging things the best I can, wearing headlamp, boots, get squeegee. <laughs> Second text, lights back on, can't get water out of basement without shop vac, bring one, buy one. I'm starving, bring food. <laughs> third text. Oh, I better not read you the third text. <laughs> Susan was actually a real trooper about it, and she was forging all this on her own for a couple hours when I show up with Subway sandwiches and, okay, what can I do? <laughs> But David Freeman is the new patron saint at Schweitzer because he didn't just bring one shop back, but two. And David worked alongside us for four and a half hours as water just kept coming in and we kept getting it out. And I don't want to bore you with all the details, but oh, why not? So there's three different places that we finally locate that are like sieves, that are entry points where water is flooding. One is the storage closet, 
And so we take the 10-gallon shop vac and we put it up against the wall and it just automatically sucks it up as it comes in. And then Susan is manhandling the shop vac in the bathroom and then David and I are working with a squeegee in the broom getting water out of our basement through the open door. And this is going on for hours. And so David says, hey, while we're doing this, let's talk about forgiveness. (laughs) Because that was what the message was that day. And so sure, let's do that. He says, he asked the question, what would it be like to be a part of a church that just thrived in forgiveness? What would it be like to be a part of an organization where people just excelled in relationships and reconciliation? And David went on to talk about how that he did degree work in mediation. And as he's doing his degree work, he and Colette have used that for individuals and with churches. But it's different than the kind of mediation that mediators tend to work with, you know, where it's just trying to settle things up after the damage has all been done, or we're going through a divorce, or we've got irreconcilable parties. Now, his work is the kind of work of God. It's the kind of work that says, let's address this. Let's work on this. Let's, let's figure this out. And David made a very interesting observation. His observa- observation is that for every year that a relationship has been allowed to be hindered and harmed and irreconcilable, That adds all the more contact hours the mediator has to spend in trying to make that work. Makes sense, doesn't it? The longer we let things happen and we let stuff come into a relationship that's toxic and we don't have ground rules and civility, the harder it is for that organization or that church or that family to get unstuck. And then David, he asked a question that really got my attention. He said, Bob, do you know what they call behavior that is feeding this kind of conflicted relationships? He says, it's called flooding. (laughs) And there I am, standing literally in a flooded basement. And I get it. I get it that we let relationships and lives continue, organizations, sometimes churches, sometimes workplaces, where the water is just coming in and it's one thing, it's one thing to use a shop vac in a time of a crisis and emergency, but it's quite another thing when it becomes chronic and the behavior just keeps going on and on and on. And the toxic, emotional, foul water just keeps springing into our lives and our relationships. You know, Jesus spoke to this. Jesus was all about this. His life, his teaching, is all about stopping that and living a different kind of life, a new life. And some of the words that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount 
Or so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You know, I've heard that scripture countless times over the years. But there was one Sunday when it was highlighted on the page. In my home church, I was in seminary. I was back from, on Christmas vacation. And it was probably one of the last sermons I heard my pastor, Reverend Faust, preach. He preached on that text. I don't know anything else he said but I know how God gripped my heart with those words. And I came home to my parents' house and I went to the old wall phone. Now, this is ancient history for some of you. There used to be like phones on walls <laughs> and you would pick them up. And there was, this is before cell phones. There were times when cell phones didn't exist. And so I picked up the wall phone and I called my aunt Fern. And I hadn't talked to Fern for years or her husband Leslie, even though they lived a quarter of a mile from home. And my parents are standing right there. And I say, hello Fern, this is Robert. Can we talk? What do you wanna talk about? Can we talk through? All the stuff, all this junk. My parents have their jaws dropping. What's he doing? Then there's silence on the phone. I'm looking at my parents. And then after a long pause, she says, no. Too much water under the bridge. And the conversation never happens. And two weeks later, my Uncle Leslie dies of a heart attack. And the word that they sent up the road was, don't let anyone in this home come visit us. Now, I didn't know much about family systems then. I didn't understand about how that from generation to generation, this has been going on in the Cassidy family system. I didn't understand all the water under the bridge and over the bridge, but I did understand the gospel that day. And I did what I could that day. You know, it's interesting that Jesus says to us, don't go just when they got the goods on you. Or don't go when just you're clearly the one in the wrong. He says, go when someone's holding a grudge. Go when someone's got something against you. We don't even have to figure out who the scapegoat is. There doesn't have to be a scapegoat. We don't have to figure out how much this person's in the wrong and the other person. We just know that, hey, sometimes when the relationship isn't what it used to be, we can just say, hey, you know, this doesn't seem right to me. Can we talk? And sometimes that's all it takes. Now, 
Let's, though, talk for a little bit about what we do when we're clearly in the wrong. What are some steps that we can take? And you may want to use the Switzer app on this. You may want to use the message notes. But there's four steps that I've learned through spiritual direction that I think are helpful. Seeking forgiveness from those we've hurt. The first one is acknowledging my faults. I'm going to stop my self-justification on this. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to acknowledge that I was clearly wrong in this role, in what I said, in what I did. I'm going to take inventory of my life, and I'm going to look and think for a moment about what's it like to be that other person. I'm going to get real clear about that, and I'm going to think specifically about what I need to voice to that other person. And then deciding to repent. Now, that's a biblical word, that's a church word, that's an old-fashioned word, but it is a good word. Repent means to have a change of heart. Repent means to have a, a, a different mindset. It's, it's different than just having the right actions. It's having the right spirit. It's looking at yourself and saying, what are my hidden motives here? Am I just going to apologize so I can get off the hook? Or I'm genuinely sorry and contrite about my behavior and my role in this, and I am going to change. That's what it means to repent. Not a one-time deal. It's a lifestyle. And then thirdly, I'm going to meet up with the person that I've hurt. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to say as specifically as I can, describing the behavior of what I did from my perspective, and I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And I'm going to resist the temptation of explaining it away or rationalizing my behavior. And then I'm going to accept forgiveness. And hopefully I can accept forgiveness from the person who's offered it to me. But I know that I will forgive myself. I will forgive myself. And I will accept God's forgiveness. I will accept God's forgiveness for me. And I will promise not to fall in and repeat that pattern of behavior again because if I do, I will do more harm than the first time. My friends, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the process or the role. It can vary it a little bit. But there's a lot of wisdom in that. And there's not a soul, a person in this room that doesn't need to do that from time to time in our life. But let's talk about the bigger question. Let's talk about how do you build relationships? How do you build a workplace? How do you build a church? How do you build everyday life? How do you build a family and a home life? Where harmony thrives. Again, let's look at Scripture, this time from the words of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians that when he says, since God chose you to be 
the holy people he loves. God chooses us. You must clothe yourselves with, here's your wardrobe. Check this out. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. How many of you have um, dress codes or certain attire in your workplace? Just some of you do. You ever go to an event, you want to know, well, what's the attire? You know, is it casual? Is it smart casual? Is it formal? It's kind of funny. We're working on a policy manual here at church, and we're looking at attire, and and so we're just saying, well, if you wear inappropriate uh, clothing, you could be sent home. (laughs) We're not legalistic, but, you know, there's... I don't think it's going to be a problem anybody, but, uh, but I think this is what Paul is saying to us as Christians, as believers, as followers. What's your wardrobe in your relationships? Here's the appropriate clothing. Blouse of patience, shirt of kindness, your all-purpose garment is love. This is what we wear. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is the way we treat each other. This is the way we talk about each other when someone else isn't in the room. This is how we live our life. And sometimes, friends, we may have to go home and put on a different shirt because we brought in some malice or resentment or jealousy or something in the workplace that isn't right. That isn't good. Because one person doing it and getting away with it, it fouls up the air. It's flooding the organization. It's flooding the house. Everyone needs ground rules. Everyone needs a game plan. Everyone needs to conduct themselves by the same rules. So that the rule of peace may govern our hearts And love may be the all-purpose garment. Now, let's say, Patty, I want to talk to you. And I'm venting to you about Jake. And I'm not talking to Jake. I'm talking to you. And I'm telling you how upset I am with Jake. This isn't true, by the way, so just don't worry. But but I'm I'm going off at at Jake to you. And what am I doing? Am I venting? We call it that. What I'm doing is rehearsing my resentment. What I'm doing is holding on to my anger. What I'm doing is fouling up the air. What I'm doing is bringing Patty down and whoever else I talk with. But if I go to Jake and I say, Jake, this is, here's something that's not right for me. And we talk through it. And he may say some things to me, and, and we're reconciled, or we're, we, we work through it. Wow, that brings everybody up. You know, it's not easy to maintain and have harmonious relationships. It's not easy to have peaceful, just work environments. It's not good. It's not easy to have a family life or a home life 
where this stuff happens because it's hard work. And it's work that's never finished. A couple of years ago, we went through a book, Crucial Conversations. Bob Lund led us through this as a staff. It was a great exercise for us as a staff, all the leaders of our teams together around the same table, talking about the same stuff, how to initiate conversations in healthy ways, how to address things that need to be addressed, how not to let things lie where things go and we bury things and we stuff things, how to replace the divots in our hearts and our spirits, how to be healthy. Taylor Likes even had a certificate on his wall because he was proud that he was a graduate. Well, Taylor thought it was funny, so I should. You know, it's been a couple years since we uh, have done that and other staff has joined us and it reminds me that the work of harmony and peace and respect in relationships is never done. But boy, is it worth it. It makes all the difference in the world. And Schweitzer is known as a church that is compassionate and reaches out to the community and does a lot of just good things. It's great for kids and other things. But I hope we can be a church, not just the church, but one of the churches one of the organizations, one of the companies, one of the businesses in this community, in this world that models this. What's it like to live together in harmony? What's it like to be a shining example? Because some of you in this room don't go to workplaces like that. And the last thing you need to do is step into an atmosphere on Sunday morning or be a part of a group in this church that is toxic or harmful, knowing that not all relationships in this life are reconcilable. We can have a reconciling spirit in our hearts. We can let the peace of Christ rule in us. And we all have a play in that. We are all contributing, whether we're a leader, where we hold a leadership position, we all have an effect. I was not a leader in my family when 40 years ago I picked up the phone and I called my Aunt Fern. I I had no leadership position in the family. But I took the lead on that one. Really, it was Jesus that took the lead because I didn't see it coming. But Jesus said, you do this. Man, am I glad I did it. At a farm sale, I met Fern again. We talked. We built a relationship back together. My aunt and I exchanged birthday cards. Her birthday was March 3rd until she died. And I officiated at her funeral. And many family members were there. Extended family, not all were there, but some were there. And I was providentially led to share these words of Louisa Fletcher with the family at her service. I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, 
where all of our mistakes and all of our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped by a, like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. And cousins, we were, and aunts and uncles, we were looking at each other and there were tears in our eyes. And we were saying, done with that. I'm not going to put that shabby old coat on again. Friends, there is a land of beginning again. There's a new land. It's the realm of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's wherever God reigns. It happens in the next life, but it happens in this life. It lives and breathes in our hearts. It permeates who we are. It is the way of life and health and peace. It is the way of God. It is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the way in which we live our life. And it is the offer that the great reconciler of the world gives to each of us today. We can live in that realm. We can swim in it. And we can do what we can to address toxic behavior. We recognize foulness when it happens. And he says, you know what? Not gonna, not gonna happen in my relationships. And I'm gonna do the best I can, what I can in building the organization that I'm a part of, the family that I'm a part of, for brothers and sisters to dwell together in harmonious relationships. And so it is Jesus, the re reconciler, who takes upon himself all the suffering and the sins and the sorrows and the grief of the world, the human condition, all the jealousy and the pettiness and the violent offenders on himself. And his body is broken. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The great offering, the great sacrificial love. And he who does not count our sins against us says, be reconciled to God. And after supper, he takes the cup and he gives thanks over it. And this is the blood for the esponging of our sins, the removing of our sins. So often as you drink this, remember me. Jesus, would you pour your reconciling love in this place? Would you... Um, just really do a new work in our heart, in our life, in our spirit. Would you help us as we come to your table to know that we are worthy to come through you? Help us to know if there's people we need to forgive, that we forgive. If there's people we need to be reconciled with. If there's people that we need to ask forgiveness for, let us do it. But God, you are the great reconciler. And we receive your reconciling love as a free gift. And we want this. We want this for our family, our relationships, our workplace, our school, the church, our community and world.
come. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. I'd like for the servers to come, and everyone is invited to come to the Lord's table. There's gluten-free that's available. Come and be reconciled and experience the reconciling love of God. Amen.